Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Lara May, a clinical pharmacist specializing in functional medicine, as well as a certified yoga teacher and Reiki master. I run a truly integrative health coaching practice, encompassing functional medicine lab testing, yoga and meditation, and a sprinkling of Reiki energy medicine. Join me here on Light Body Radio to break through your health plateau and come into alignment with your natural vitality. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Light Body Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lara May, and today we have back with us David Krantz, our resident certified coach specializing in epigenetics and personalized nutrition and everything nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics. So welcome back. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be back again. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I love, yeah, our conversations are just, I feel like really unique. And so I really appreciate them. So thank you. So today we're actually going to talk about how genetically informed nutrition and biohacking practices intersect with shadow work, emotional healing, and somatic awareness. So I'm really excited about this because I think it does actually sort of bring some sort of unity to all of the little different things that we talk about. And I love your approach here and how you're trying to bring it all full circle and really integrate some things for some, what I feel like is real tangible change that people can see and relate to. So let's start with what is shadow work? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I appreciate that. And I, you know, I feel like that's why I've been moving in this direction more and more in, in terms of just trying to integrate different aspects of what it means to be a human. The physiological and you know, nutrition and all of that stuff is important, but there's a whole other side to what it means to change and transform and become, you know, who you really want to be and who you're meant to be in a way. And so yeah, that's where this conversation, I'm, I'm excited to take it. And, you know, I, I think to put a definition on what we're talking about here, I look at shadow work as being able to reclaim parts of the self that we've played previously rejected or made bad or, you know, relegated to parts of the psyche, parts of the self that we've relegated away from what's visible, what's seen, what's allowable, and there's a lot of reasons for why that happens, and we can get into that, but it allows you to be a, a more whole person in terms of being able to accept and embrace all of who you are. And I think that's a deep part of you know the healing process and the process of growing and really becoming the totality of you know yourself. And these are big concepts, and I know mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a a big thing to start out with. But yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll dive in a little bit <laughs> like, further. What is there. that? What is the totality of myself? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And in 2020, before the pandemic, I picked a word of the year uh, flow, and I didn't realize how um, poignant that was going to be, or challenging that was going to be for that year. And so this year I I chose the word awareness for 2021. And so I think this aspect and, and concept of shadow work really accentuates that because I think one of the biggest steps and you touched on a little bit is just the awareness that we have a shadow. And especially mm-hmm. in the self-help world and maybe even the holistic healing world, we talk about a lot of manifestation things and focus on the positive and all that is good, but that can only take you so far. And this is part of the work that I've been doing on a personal level as well. Is like, okay, I get 
the law of attraction. I get that. But then there's still these other things that are like sort of tugging on you in the other direction. And also too, from the energetic perspective of we're energetic beings on this earth that is a, an earth of polarity, meaning good, bad, light, dark, opposites. And so I think shadow work has to be an integral part of that. You know, you can't just literally be in rainbows and sunshine all the time on planet earth. And so I feel, you know, like the shadow, we have to say, okay, what is that? What is that part of myself that I have sort of decided to stop looking at and even acknowledge? And from what I was reading too, which I think is really important to point out is that sometimes that's even positive aspects of ourself or like really positive traits that either someone has told us are not good or in some way, shape or form, we had an experience that made us or encouraged us to choose something different instead of acknowledging that. So um, can you talk about that a little bit about how even the shadow work can bring light to the good parts of ourselves that we've decided to deny? Yes, absolutely. I love that you're pointing that out already because that's one of the kind of hidden gems of the shadow is it contains both positive and negative material. The shadow, you can think of it as something that is kind of blacked out or hidden from view. And that doesn't mean that the stuff in there is quote unquote bad. It just means that it's not accessible to the conscious mind because we've decided that it's not safe or it's not societally acceptable or it's not good for us to you know embody those characteristics or traits that inherently are a part of us you know and a, and a good example of that might be is a little kid getting told you talk too much and then saying oh it's bad when i i talk too much but maybe you actually have a real gift for language and articulating things and rediscovering that part of yourself might actually unlock aspects that you of yourself you were previously unaware of and had sort of put away because that was the messaging you got. And I think the other thing to kind of address here too is the subjective notion of good and bad. That's a, a very relative kind of thing. And mm -hmm. we oftentimes what we perceive as as bad or shameful it is really just you know, kind of an, an opinion that doesn't carry weight when you shine the light at it. And you see oftentimes that it's it's something that it only has power because you're giving it power by keeping it in the dark, right? And right. it's like one of those things where often yeah. Yeah. giving it meaning, right? And, you know, maybe another thing to mention here too is that when we're talking about the psyche, we're talking about both this on an individual level and also on a collective human level. And each of our individual psyches makes up the sum total of the collective psyche. And so there's not just individual shadows, you know, our own personal material we're dealing with. There's also cultural shadows, ancestral shadows. Okay. And we live those stories out through our personal shadows. But, you know, I, I think a deep aspect of healing as as a species, right? As we, if, we, if we zoom, if we zoom out a little bit and just look at this on, on the global level, like the individual healing work contributes to the larger whole. And a lot of what we're dealing with right now as a species and, and, and culture is the collective shadow of our ancestors that is being um, 
transmitted through culture. You know, if you look at things like sexism and racism and genocide, violence, all of these things, these these kind of whispers of the past in a way that continue repeating themselves in our heads kind of unconsciously, you know, undoing that uh, within ourselves is contributing to a much larger frame of how we relate to, you know, the, the shadow and, and, and that. And um, that being said, I, I want to touch back just for a second in terms of what you were saying about, you know, maybe personal growth culture or kind of love and light culture, you know, just around like only focusing on the positive, only the, the kind of inverted messaging of whatever you focus on, you're going to get just because you you focus on the parts of yourself that are shameful or quote unquote dark or, or bad doesn't mean you're going to attract that to yourself. That just means you're going to be able to have a better understanding of your tendencies and have more agency and choice over where you exercise and utilize those those traits, right? Because mm-hmm. if we are not aware, like you said, you know, thinking that just pure awareness, if we're not aware that say, I have a tendency to get triggered and angry when I feel rejected, for example, and that can show up in a number of different areas. Mm-hmm. If I don't deeply understand and address the part of myself that feels that rejection, understand where that comes from, understand that disconnection, I'm going to just be led around by that part of myself like a dog on a, on a leash and have no idea why I'm being led there because I can't actually understand why this is happening over and over again. And so one of the key indicators of needing to do shadow work, which we all need to do. Let's just address that also Mm -hmm. from the start. This is not something that is unique to any one person and someone is, it's like a bad thing to need to do. No, this is part of the growth process. Uh, This is part of, I think, a mature spirituality, you know, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about it in that terms. If If you're not able to understand and be aware and work with those parts, you know, those patterns keep repeating. And and so that's a great indicator to start looking at some of these things. If you find yourself repeating patterns and can't understand why finding yourself in the same situation, maybe the same relationship dynamic, Mm -hmm. maybe that shows up with a partner or boss or a friend. And you're like, oh, I thought I thought if I just found a different person to be in relationship with, this stuff would go away because usually what happens with shadow work that's not done and not, and I don't even want to use that because it's, it's an ongoing process. It's never really done, but it usually what happens when there's that material that is kind of driving us is we tend to see that in other people and blame other people. Yeah. Or we blame Mercury retrograde. (laughs) Right. We blame something outside of ourselves that again, like we're um, in essence giving our power away because we're saying, well, it's not me, it's that or them. And then therefore I don't have power over it. And really, which I think is what is so exciting about this work is that it does empower you. So at times it can be uncomfortable and maybe, um, and that's, you know, really why we shy away from it because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We want to feel good. But again, like you said, like just because we're bringing light to it and we're focusing on it for a short amount of time does not mean that you are going to attract more. The whole point actually for 
for me, from my perspective, is transmutation. So we we bring light, we shine light, we have some expanded awareness about the pattern, maybe about a situation where we were we were victimized, we weren't in control, but that formed so many opinions and patterns, and that all you do is bring awareness to it, and now you can choose again. And when you see, when you're re, when you're given that opportunity. F- for that pattern again, you can say, no, 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 no. Or, you know, like I'm going to approach this differently. I'm going to look at it differently. And again, you've talked about shame already a little bit. And I definitely want to say that shame is one of those subjective perceptions because that is something that you can definitely choose to reframe. And so you don't have to feel bad about it. And I like to use the the little rhymey phrase, objective detective, when I'm talking about any of this stuff, it's like, look at it with curiosity and objectivity and understand that just because you've been told something or you've convinced yourself of something doesn't mean it necessarily will be that always. So yeah, I think this gives us a lot of opportunities to totally change and transmute so many cultural wounds, familial, personal, all that stuff. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we all need to do it. (laughs) And I like that you said uh, spiritual maturity too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to touch on two things there. And the first being the idea around taking responsibility for some of our own contributions to the situations we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a delicate balance between really being able to recognize what I as an individual am contributing to and what is, you know, maybe a larger cultural shadow that I'm interacting with, Mm -hmm. right? And so I I think it's important to say that this is not like a blanket, you create your own reality and have control over all of it type perspective. Mm -hmm. This is a, you, you know, this is more of a, the, the complexity between there are many things that you do have control over. And there are actually some things that as an individual, you don't have control over Mm -hmm. and being able to parse those out and understand them is really what allows you to choose which things you want to focus on, what boundaries you want to be able to set within those larger systems that maybe, you know, we we don't have immediate impact on. And I, I think it's just important to kind of look at areas where it's helpful to take more responsibility and then areas in some cases where it's helpful to say, you know what, this actually isn't really my fault. And I am actually in relationship to a larger system that might be causing problems in my life in certain ways. And, and so I just want to kind of look yeah. at that as, as a balance where- Absolutely. It's healthy to take responsibility for the individual shadow, and it can be taxing and unhealthy to take more than one's fair share of the collective shadow and feel yes. like it's your fault. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Because I do, there's, I, there's uh, for sure. And I don't know if it's necessarily more in women than men, but I feel like, you know, um, because a lot of what we're talking about too can also be uh, when we talk about culture, you know, our our gender roles that have definitely been taught to us in large part and the whole archetype of the mother and the female taking responsibility for familial things. And, and then therefore that translates out into so many different things. So yes, yes. Thank you for bringing that forward for sure. Okay. I want to transition quickly since we're still talking about a framework here, uh, somatic awareness. What is that? Because I'm not sure a lot of people really understand like what that is. I think 
we're exposed to it, but it's not talked about in that way. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you transitioned. That was actually going to be the second thing I wanted <laughs> to bring up and use uh, what you're talking about around shame, you know, as maybe a jumping off point to talk about a little bit because shame, if we're talking about it, is not actually just a thought pattern. It's an affective pattern, meaning it's it's affect. It's it's held in the body. It's actually something that when you feel shame, and, and there's good research behind this, you you actually change your posture. You change certain hormone signaling in the body. You change. You know, there, there's a whole cascade of 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 physiological things that go with the emotion feeling of shame, and what somatic awareness is referring to is really the feelings in the body, the internal felt awareness of the body. And uh, like the scientific word for this is also called interoception or being like, you know, aware of, of what's happening in your body. And so, you know, if you're listening right now, you can experience this by, by just saying to yourself, I'm going to focus my attention on the tips of my fingers just for a moment and just really, you know, see what my, the tips of my fingers feel like right now. And, um, you know, maybe they're a little tingly, maybe they're cold, maybe they're hot. It's the, that, that sense of just being aware of the actual sensations in your body you know, that's a type of somatic awareness. And the reason why this is so important in shadow work and in any type of emotional work is that these patterns, these thoughts, the the experiences that go into creating the shadow aren't just mental constructs. They are also feelings and the kind of sum total of you know, the way that we hold our body and our posture and our our gut feelings. You know, like if you have ever had the experience of getting nervous before having to do public speaking or, you know, going on a date or whatever it is, you know that there's some, some physical sensations that come up in the body when there's strong emotions. And those are critical indicators to learn what they are for you. And they're amazing entry points into being able to shift and change these patterns because what's become pretty apparent in the psychotherapy world over, you know, I'd say the past 20, 30 years is talk therapy alone only goes so far, just talking about something and and keeping it in the mental sphere works for some things, but then, you know, oftentimes what's needed is to really engage with the feelings of the body and, and stick with them and move through them. And this is a really strange process. If you've never done this before, it sounds very abstract. Uh, It sounds very kind of untouchable in a way, if you, if you haven't felt this for yourself. And, and that's also not uncommon because like you said, you know, in, in, in culture, we're not taught that this is a capacity that we even have to engage with our emotions and our ourselves in this way. This is something that most people come to after they've experienced trauma or they've realized, you know, hey, this this thing just isn't working for me anymore and I'm feeling really depressed or anxious. And, and then that's the signal from the body to say, all right, you got to start paying attention to these somatic signals. And so there are ways to say, integrate the 
awareness of, hey, I've got this pattern. I can kind of, you know, figure out where it came from. Like just to use the example again, maybe I felt a lot of shame when I, I was told that I talked too much as a kid and that I should be quiet and mind my own business. And, you know, um, children should be seen, not heard or whatever the story is. And that's great to get that awareness. But oftentimes the next layer to truly starting to do the healing work is to connect with the bodily sensations associated with those memories, associated with those patterns and begin to consciously shift the somatic associations that we have with those memories or, or parts of our shadow and, you know, shining the light on the shadow is, is both a mental process, like, you know, becoming aware of it. And then a lot of the times what tends to stabilize it is really living it and embodying it in the body in a way that gives it permission to breathe or, or exist. You know, all of a sudden it's like, you're constantly told not to do something, not to do something, not to do something. And then you're like, Oh yeah, maybe you, you can do it. You're like, really? Maybe, maybe I, I don't know. There's a hesitancy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a stabilization process that somatic work really tends to be helpful for, especially when there's trauma, especially when there's heightened nervous system activation that prevents us from accessing things that don't feel safe or don't feel like it's okay. Yeah. I think so many of us are taught as children to dissociate with our feelings, get a tough skin or don't show them how you feel. Don't show them that they hurt your feelings. Or I guess kind of a self-protection mechanism, even though I think ultimately it does more harm than good in the long run in terms of, again, just the the unification with being in our bodies, because ultimately what it teaches us to do is ignore what our body is telling us. And our body is constantly communicating with us in terms of, like you said, oh, your stomach is nervous before public speaking, or um, maybe even if it's that, like when your hair stands up on the back of your neck, if you're, you know, in a possibly dangerous situation. So there are some signals that we really should pay attention to and then act on. And so I love that this is, and you're so right in terms of the shadow work, like this is like that next step and reteaching ourselves that it is okay to be connected and it is okay to respond uh, to these signals that we're getting. And so it's it's really like a, almost like a reunification. So we've been taught this dissociation and how to check out. And so now we're like, it's making the conscious choice too, I think to step back in and be present and say, yes, I am willing to feel these feelings. I'm willing to maybe even feel them without judgment. And again, there's this element of curiosity that comes with the willingness to be aware. And then, you know, and and then what? And then the emotional healing? Is that the next? Yay! The- <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, I'd say this, these are all, this is all intertwined with emotional yeah. healing. And, yeah. and first I'll say that, yeah, this is a skill that is something that you learn over time. And we just were not generally taught this as a skill for most of us. Some mm-hmm. of us were lucky, but most of us have had to learn it, you know, older. Mm-hmm. And also to touch on what you were saying, I, I think that's some of the deepest wisdom is recognizing, well, the innate wisdom of a lot of how these patterns get formed. You know, they're protective mechanisms. Um, none of the shadow is is bad. None of these things that we're doing are 
you know, are wrong. They, they can be maladaptive over time, but usually yeah. when these things are formed, they are adaptive, right? If you are a kid and you're being told, you know, don't, don't use your voice. Well, you know, you might get, you know, get hit or yelled at if you do. So of course you're going to develop strategies that shape your, your personality. And, and then over time, those things no longer become functional, right? It's, it's like in a certain context, in a certain situation, pretty much every time these things form as a result of the psyche trying to protect itself, you know, as a, usually as a kid and there's no blame there. There's no, there's, there's really no shame in that. And I think that that's a key part of it too, is beginning to understand and connect with the deeper, wiser part of your younger self that was trying to do something helpful. Mm -hmm. And that has a major role in emotional healing is beginning to kind of bring those parts back into the fold and say, Hey, you know, I, I see what you were trying to do there. Thank you. Like genuinely, like I appreciate the sense of trying to, you know, protect me from whatever was, you know, a threat perceived threat or real threat. And, and I think that that's an essential component and, you know, to zoom it back out for a second into more of a cultural lens, a lot of the, vestigial cultural patterns that we're playing out and trying to work through right now are also of the same protective nature, you know, and this is not something I've heard a lot of people talk about. And I, I think it's actually kind of almost taboo to look at it from this perspective, but I, I actually think that something like racism has roots in a positive protective mechanism. You know, if you're thinking about thousands of years ago, not knowing being in small tribes, not knowing who these people were around you, you know, having a very limited worldview, of course it makes sense that our psyches are going to say, someone that looks different than me, gotta keep them out, but those people are bad, they're dangerous. And so the tendency that we have, you know, left, you know, and haven't fully been able to wash out, and maybe never will fully wash out, but maybe we can kind of understand it and overcome it. And like you said, transmute it into something that is healthier. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of these things come from survival. They, these come from survival mechanisms, uh, traditional gender roles that maybe no longer serve the same function they did when we were hunter gatherers or, you know, having to subsistence farm and, you know, have 15 kids just so we could survive. Like mm -hmm. those are, aspects of survival that have imprinted themselves in the human psyche in a way that I find very helpful to look at from a very similar lens on a cultural level to say, all right, you know, a lot of these things were functional at a certain point, given the context of, you know, a global species now, they don't work. Parts of them don't work. And being able, I think, to acknowledge and, 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 and look at the roots of it as something that did serve a purpose in human history creates an opening. And I think it creates a, an ability to say, all right, how do I want to consciously work with this? Similarly to how you might work with the inner child part of yourself that decided to shut down certain parts of your personality so that you could survive, so that you could uh, get the love and, and attention that you need and, and, and not feel like you were going to be cast out. Yeah, yeah. I think that brings up so many good points that, again, this 
even, you know, and I referred to it earlier as a world of polarity, but really it's a spectrum of very different various experiences and and experience, but our brain is, and you know this because you're the psychology expert here. <laughs> um, but uh, like we have like the lizard brain, which is totally focused on keeping us alive. And most of our decisions come from that aspect of the brain. So it takes a very conscious choice. And again, back to awareness to start to delve into, okay, but if I make this choice, is it really going to kill me? No. Okay. So, okay. So irrational brain, lizard brain, you can stay over here and I'm going to play around in the conscious awareness aspect and, and make some conscious choices. So like you said, like whether that's cultural and ancestral and built into, because I think this is the other thing that's important to point out is that our brains have formed over millions of years to keep us alive. Like we are where we are as a species on this earth because of how our brain is developed. And so again, I think that allows the opening of the door for self-compassion, cultural compassion, and to instead of judging it as good, bad, then we can, like you said, start to understand it on the spectrum of evolution. And with the choice that we are continuing to evolve, but now maybe we can evolve in a more conscious and aware way instead of just continuing to be in the cycle of our cultural patterns. Now we can say, hey, wait. And I think that's part of our development, our evolution, our growth. And also I think just where we are as a culture all over the world right now, like we are, I think we're all sort of, like, hey, wait, we don't have to continue this. We can make a different choice. And we can look at what we did in the past. And maybe not from such a, like you said, like a place of building walls, but breaking them down and and a level of understanding. Yeah. And I think an important thing to point out there too, is in terms of how different parts of the brain are, are engaged, the use of the frontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that, you know, is conscious, makes decisions, you know, more rationally can, can really think through situations. It requires safety. It requires a sense of safety to be able to operate from that place. And when we're not feeling safe, we're going to be, you know, generally more operating from the midbrain and and more reptilian parts of the brain that are more survival oriented. Mm -hmm. And so when we're, we're talking about this, feeling safety is a core component, a, a underlying component of any of this work. Right? Oh, yeah. If you're still, you yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, if you're wondering where your next meal is going to come from, this, you, it is very, it's pretty much impossible to, to kind of work with this thing. And, and so, or, or work in the, this kind of way. And, and so we're talking about, and this is also, I'll say a, a personal criticism of, of, you know, personal growth culture and, and things like that, that I have is that if we really want to evolve as a species, it's not just about, you know, doing our own personal work in terms of deepening our meditation practice or doing shadow work like this. It's helping other people develop and obtain the necessary conditions to start to do that work too. Right. If there's people that are starving and don't have homes and, and you know, don't have a stable place to live, like we're just kind of spinning our wheels as a culture if we're only thinking about, you know, what we can do ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so again, I think that's part of kind of what a mature spirituality looks like. Is, and this is something that I am 
you know, just opening up into myself. So we'll say I'm not standing up on a soapbox or, or saying, you know, anything like I'm better than or anything like that. I, I'm recognizing this is an issue that I have that I'm working through of being able to simultaneously do my own personal work, but then say, all right, how can we empower and enable people who don't have the resources even think about this stuff to get to a place where this is even possible? So, you know, I, I think that when we're talking about again, kind of that interrelationship between individual and collective shadow, there are certain stages or sequences that sort of have to be addressed. Like, mm -hmm. okay, once I get to the point where I'm capable of acknowledging my own personal wounds and my own, you know, limitations and, and things that, um, you know, I'm healing within myself, what's going to do more good for me to maybe make the, the, next one or two percent tweaks to my own psyche or give someone the opportunity to start to make that first 50 percent jump into their own healing process and I, I think that if we you know really look at it on a, a larger timeline it's um to some degree more about you know kind of lifting everyone up at once rather than trying to only do the the things for ourselves and absolutely uh, yeah like i said that's you know kind of part of my opening to that awareness recently and kind of questioning where, what my role is in that. So, yeah. That, yeah. I think taking responsibility for our role as part of the ecosystem of this planet. And I mean, and again, that's like really big, like, whoa, like, you know, the whole planet and we're humans and we're on it, but like, what are we doing to help? And what are we, again, taking responsibility for where we're not stepping up or maybe doing harm? But and then allowing us to make different choices. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us are getting there and sort of starting to come out of that purely individualism into more of the, I'm part of a group as a whole. I'm part of a culture as a whole. I'm part of an ecosystem as a whole. Just keep allowing ourselves to see that perspective without becoming overwhelmed by that perspective. Because I think for a lot of us too, that's like, whoa, and maybe with that responsibility, it can become so overwhelming that we're like, mm, no, <laughs> like that's too much. Like I don't have that power or I can't handle all that. And so like you said earlier uh, too, like knowing when to not take responsibility for all of the things that are not within your control. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a, a great thing to point out too, is that engaging with the collective suffering of the world is intense and overwhelming and needs to be titrated, you know, in the right dosage at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of what a lot of the personal work prepares us to do mm -hmm. is to start to be able to engage in a broader collective way that doesn't just touch on our own you know, problems and suffering and traumas, but starts to be able to hold space for these larger, you yeah. know, ideas and, and be able to hold some of the grief that's inherent in thinking yeah. about that stuff. Yeah, hold you know, space for the collective a, healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And and healing comes often through grief, often comes through the, the you know, being able to sit through that, that stuff and really feel it. Oh, you know, yeah. It's like if you... Yeah. If you have a loved one die, it's like you have to go through the process of really feeling the emotions through it where you get stuck. And it, it's very similar to this type of work when you apply it to a larger, you know, scale. And 
<laughs> you know, I was I was listening to, and I think this is starting to just seep into the collective here. I was listening to a podcast with Jamie Wheel. I don't know if you're familiar with any of his work, but he uh, he's part of a project called the Float Genome Project, and like big biohacker celebrity kind of mm-hmm, guy. Mm-hmm. And I heard him on a podcast that just came out a couple of weeks ago. And they were like, yeah, you know, like the individual biohacking thing is so 2015. Like it's, it's about, we need to figure out how to move from this individual personal optimization to a larger meaning making like ability with a larger frame in mind. And I was just like, huh, that's cool that that's, what's going on in that world specifically, you know, which was, which very hyper-focused on individualism and the sense of like the, the end of one experiment, which I think is mm-hmm. important. I do a lot of that work, but it's like, how do we move and use that as a foundation, as a base to then begin to think about, um, you know, the, the interrelatedness of, of all humans and all of the non-humans uh, that we interact with too, which yeah. I think we touched on a little bit in the last conversation. Well. And I, yeah, and I, 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 yeah, that is a perfect example of of the different levels and aspects of the continuum again of of the evolution. Because you're an expert in epigenetics, and I would even say biohacking, and I would say I am like informed, but not an expert. <laughs> and then you have those other, what you call like the the biohacking celebrities that are the uber experts. And then that they're so in tune with their N of one and their, their own biohacking that now they're like, okay, but now we need to think bigger, which is true. To me though, right now, I think personally is that we are still like where you and I are in terms of like getting the word out and and educating and opening the eyes and and even like helping distribute some resources. And so I want to bring the conversation to this um to the ebook that you sent me that really outlines your approach to sort of bringing this all together for real tangible change in people's lives, which I think will take them to that next level. So can you tell us a little bit about that and really how it like brings in like the epigenetic aspect? Yeah, absolutely. So I put together a short ebook, maybe it's about 30 pages or so, 30, 40 pages that I call Alchemical Wellness Catalyst. And it's it's really a just a, a little bit of a field guide to the unconscious and to the shadow parts of self and, and, you know, has some ideas about how to start thinking about that, how to start engaging with it and, you know, has some exercises to do, has some ways of planning wellness goals with that in mind. So like you said, trying to kind of bridge the, the wellness daily habits and rituals with a sense of how it relates to our sense of self and uh, and what it means to be committed to a routine and regimen and, and what are the blocks to that? Because a lot of times when we feel stuck, when we feel like we want to do something, but we just kind of keep circling around it and can't quite do it. You know, we want to eat a certain way and then we, you know, grab the Twinkie and we're like, oh, damn it, I did it again. That's some great shadow material to work with. And so starting to identify that, work with it, somatic awareness exercises in there, you know, that was kind of my hopeful gift in a way when I was thinking like, all right, how can I 
how can I, you know, just transmit some of this information in, in a way that might be helpful to people in a, yeah. in a broader way? Yeah. So I think a good example would be, I feel like intermittent fasting is still a hot topic and for very good reason, because it has some great effects and it can really transform people's health in a great way. But maybe a good example would be, okay, so maybe someone has struggled with eating disorders. They're wanting to get healthy. They've heard about this intermittent fasting thing. They try it, but then it triggers that shadow aspect of, oh my God, I'm starving or, oh my God, I'm never going to get food again. Like whatever these, again, like lizard brain thoughts are that are deeply rooted. In, and so maybe can you like take us through how maybe all this would like come together in an aspect like that? I think helping people discern whether or not a health trend is right for them by again, tuning into their body and just saying, hmm, is this right for me right now? Or do I have some other work to do before I can really explore this thing over here? Yeah, for sure. And I'll say I'm not an expert on eating disorders. So take that just as a caveat. With yeah, I was just using that as um, an example of yeah, a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yes. But I, I think that's a good idea, a, a good point to say like, all right, you know, if there is something that is bringing up a challenge to kind of a core sense of self around like, I'm not feeling good enough. I don't feel skinny enough or, or pretty enough. And that is something that is overwhelming. You know, that's something that's an overwhelming uh, feeling or sensation. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a great indicator that there's healing that can be done. And, and in some cases, you know, I'd, I'd use that as more of an extreme example where maybe you actually want to work with someone to do that work. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's also you know, maybe less extreme examples where you can start to do some of that work in yourself in a safer way. And that's really more what the, the guide that I put together is for is to kind of like start to gently nudge at the, the parts of self that, you know, might keep us stuck. And, and I think I use this example in the guide itself of, of like, uh, you know, I'm historically a pretty messy person. Like I, will let my space kind of, you know, clutter up. But I know that I work better and I feel better when I have a neat, tidy, organized space. Mm -hmm. And one of the exercises in the in the guide is to kind of list out what are what are the the fears related to doing that action? Like what am I afraid of if I clean my desk? And you know, one of the things that I identified was like, oh, I would be forced to kind of live up to a higher level of my own potential that I don't know if I really want to, you know, experience. And and, and actually in, in that guide, you can see there's a list of like 10 fears that would come with that. Mm -hmm. And so part of, part of that process is sort of saying like, yeah, this is a thing I think I want, but maybe there's a part of me that really fears the growth or fears what it would mean to change part of the way I perceive myself for my identity, or maybe I'm afraid someone will make fun of me for being clean and tidy because that's something I would do to people in school. Mm -hmm. I was the, the cool, messy kid who didn't turn in his homework. <laughs> and, you know, the kids that like took all their notes neat, like they were goody two shoe kids, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I like have identified that that's something that I've inverted and turned against myself, which is a, a limiting factor, right? Exactly. And so it's like starting to parse out those dynamics of, of judgment and and fear and again looking at it as as not something bad but something functional like doing that got my needs met to feel cool and and feel you know like uh, I was different and unique and that yeah, served a purpose but left unchecked that has 
in certain ways become you know problematic that I have and more disorganized than I'd like to be sometimes. So yeah. that that's just a short example from you know, kind of a light example for my Yes, sorry, it's like it's so deep and so heavy. (laughs) Uh, But no, I love that you've brought it to this place so we can start to wrap it up too, is that this whole process, I think, creates the container for us to look at maybe a place where we'd like to change. So maybe it's like how tidy you keep your space or to a bigger, like how you approach your food, but it allows you and it, and you take the person through this process of, okay, let's get all my fears out on paper and really look at them and get specific and give them words and labels. So they're not as abstract because I think one of our biggest challenges is just the abstract fear that we don't really give a name to. And then it just like hangs out and sort of like follows us around and prevents us from moving forward. And then we can look at it and say, again, like, oh, is this something that's true? Is this something that's not true? Is this something that I can reframe? And then what does that look like? And how can I, you know, again, like tune in with my body with that somatic awareness? And then epigenetically, I am less stressed, so my body has less inflammation. I can show up feeling good in a healthier way, and I don't even have to think about all the like little things that are, you know, all the chemical reactions that are happening in my body. But because I'm doing this work, it is innately helping me be healthier and in a better state of mind. Yes, absolutely, and and that's a perfect tie-in back to the large, to the epigenetic picture, you know, around what. Dr. Mario Martinez calls biocognition this idea that you know it's it's the our experience is kind of the sum total of our thoughts, our feelings, neurotransmitters, hormones, posture, all of these things create this complex, almost like a sphere of you know how all these things kind of plug in and relate to each other. And you can influence it from any one of those inputs, right? You can influence your biochemistry through your thoughts or your feelings. You can influence your thoughts and your feelings through changing your biochemistry, um, you know, with supplements or drugs or, or whatever, or, you know, breath work, what, mm-hmm. what choose your, choose your weapon. And I think that that's why I still love the biohacking ethos of, you know, you use all the tools at your disposal to be able to start to shift and take control over your biology. But it's like, you know, the biohacking ethos tends to stop at the biology aspect of it. Whereas I think like, you know, it's really about kind of looking at these more holistic kind of layers of thoughts, feelings, emotions, relationships, expanding out to a species wide level. And, you know, if we're talking about, again, you know, healing, what does that mean on both an individual level? You can look at that from an epigenetic perspective, but then of course, also like we talked about the last show, you know, on a multi-generational species-wide level. And it's, it's like, you can, you can look at what is the epigenetic state of both yourself and the entire species, right? And so this work is about beginning to make the small changes on a small time scale, you know, just a human lifetime mm-hmm. that may translate to something many years down the road. And yeah, like you said, it, being able to start to name, you know, what you actually are feeling, where it shows up in your body, 
uh, starts to create literacy in a language for it rather than it being something that's nebulous and, you know, we're not actually able to work with. It's like, you know, maybe some of your listeners have had the experience of feeling like they kind of know there's something wrong with their body, but not having a name for it and then maybe getting some blood work done and going, oh, well, that makes so much sense. Now I can, I have a name for it. I kind of know what to do. And it, it's the same thing with the things we're talking about with the psyche and the, and the shadow work. It's like, you know, depression or anxiety, like those things are just signposts that there are deeper things to really like, you know, parse out and look at in a more granular way. And, 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 you know, like depression, how does that relate to needs that aren't getting met? Mm-hmm. Or how does that relate to values that you're not living in alignment with? And being able to really specifically go in and name those and then make changes to come into more alignment with those things, you know, is is the path to, mm-hmm. to healing and, and changing these, um, you know, larger epigenetic kind of structures and states. Um, so... Yeah, just I thank you so much for, for having this conversation. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this stuff. It's yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, I'm going to link the your your ebook on the show notes so people can have that and start working through this. And then as always, if you start this work and you uncover something bigger and or like a more overwhelming, then please, please, please reach out and find a practitioner that you can work with. And again, like, because you said earlier, this is all about you to really do this work, you need a safe space. And so whether that's being with yourself by yourself in a quiet space in a reflective with something maybe not so deep and traumatic, but if you uncover something, please reach out and find a practitioner that you trust and that you know will help you create that safe space and help you sort of unpack, digest, and transmute some of these bigger issues for sure too. Awesome, David. Well, thank you so much. And um, I look forward to having you back. And then maybe, you know, we can, again, like delve, just keep peeling back the layers of the onion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's plan for it. You know, these are, uh, these have been some of my favorite conversations I've ever had on a podcast. And it's just cool. great to be able to explore these these nooks and crannies and and uh, subtleties with all this. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. 